So I'm just gonna do a podcast intro real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Hell yeah! Welcome back to another episode of Off the Cuff. It's David Goolsby. Very special episode. Mark's not here because he's probably dead, eating too much of that pork. It happens. But today I'm joined by two very special people, two mentors to me. I'd like to consider. I'd like to consider you two mentors. They're very funny, very old, very much so older than me. Very wise, James Hodge and Eric Trundy. Oh, we both got lumped in with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Old and white. Yeah. Did well, you I mean, say white? I didn't say white. But oh, you know, okay. Well, well, we are. We're old. Now you can't say the N-word. I was trying to give you a pass. Oh, I, I can't. <laughs> His mom's black. He can say whatever he wants. Oh, that's racist. No, it's not. <laughs> I get to determine that. I'm the one that has all the cards here. I'm the white guy, so. Uh, that, that is true. He actually owns this building. I don't know if you guys knew that. <laughs> Along with several others in the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, well, you know, basically I got to, you know, this for a class assignment. So uh, I'm just going to start. First question, how did you guys start your career? Now, do you mean how did we start comedy or career? Yeah, that's a... That, that's a those are different questions. Yeah, yeah those are very different. I didn't preface this to also stand-up comics. We're, we're, it, I, I, we'll, I'll edit it. Sure. <laughs> Seems like you're really good at it. Yeah, <laughs> very good. Uh, comedy, like, so you, you start comedy. Mm-hmm. And then you stop. The career in comedy is after a while. So it really depends on what the question is, how they answer that. Do you know what I mean? The question says, how did you get started in this career? That's what it Okay, says. well, then we'll just do the career side. So, Because right. open mics are open mics. Yeah. Uh, the way that I uh, became a paid comedian mm-hmm. is there were a bunch of old dudes uh, that did comic review back in the day. Mm-hmm. And they needed a go-to white boy to be their opening act. And uh, they would give me the call, and they would, you know, be like, "Yo, I got a show. I need a white boy because uh, it's a classy joint. Uh, will you come do this show?" And I was like, "Yeah, I will." And uh, so I went and did those shows, and that's how I became a professional comedian. I like that they said classy joint because it like sounds like it happened in the fifties or sixties. I'm just saying that's the way they said it to me because they were trying to say there might be white. Also, people when here. you started that, you were like, "Yo!" Like you were gonna do a black voice and then you backed <laughs> off. Yeah, I'm mature. I'm mature. And, you know, this ain't tw- this ain't you know 1998 when that was I. <laughs> See, I went with an I there for you. All right, so how did you how did you become a professional comedian? Uh, uh, so you know, stock comedy, blah blah blah, get funny, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, just picking up work for, like, going to places. Mm-hmm. You're funny. People ask you to come back. That happens uh, enough. Then you do it somewhere where they pay you a little bit. And then you're professional and good at your job. They ask you to come do it, and they pay you a little bit more, right? And so that keeps happening. And then eventually it's um, you work with somebody who's where you want to be, mm-hmm. and they know what – the process is, and the process is cyclical. So, like, James is at a point where he's headlining, right? So he gets, he can sometimes choose his feature. So he'll find somebody who he's seen that, it, you know, he likes is funny, and he'll recognize that, and, like, they're a person who's at that point where the, I can bring them with me, then that's that entry level, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Then once you start traveling, and you're making these kind of, it's, it's, it's networking, man, the whole thing. The whole thing is networking. The business side of it is networking. I mean, but I'm bad at it, so I don't know. Like, I'm the wrong dude to talk to about that. <laughs> well, I mean, 
you know, there are, there are always going to be some comics who throw you a bone early on and bring you out and let you do some work with them. And then, you know, you, if, you're, if you're smart, when you're talking to those guys, you'd be like, well, well who booked you? And then, like, well, can I get that email? And then, you know, you shoot them and you send them your press kit and you do all that and they never respond. They always ignore you. And then, uh, you know, you hit them up again. And it's basically, first, the easiest way to start working consistently as a comic is get in with the regional bookers. You know, whether it's like the Heffron Talent Comedy Zone folks or Funny Business out of Michigan. They book mostly Midwest stuff. Mm-hmm. There's uh, uh, Mike Clark, a bunch of Northeast stuff. Um, triple runs around the Midwest, mm-hmm. like in like Southeast and like that area. As long as you like, if you can get in with those bookers, mm-hmm. they which you need because you need the you know the road legs and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you don't have to do it that way. A lot of guys don't, but but you can do it that way, and that gives you the sort of road chops. And you just can't do that shit for too long because if you do, you you know can turn into a road hack. But you develop those chops, and then really go to L.A., go to New York, uh, get on TV, and then you can skip all those steps. Okay. I know uh, you said uh, send them a press kit. I know I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily know what that means. I don't either because I never made one. I should have. I never did. I Like, every time I got in with a new booker, it was because I won a contest at their joint. Mm-hmm. And, like, I went and did a contest there and won, and, like, which got me my first week of work. And then after that, I, like, followed up back and was like, hey, well, that went pretty well. Can I get some more? Mm-hmm. So I didn't do the thing that, you know, the send in your press kit and, like, drive them insane kind of mm-hmm. stuff I uh, like I want to like that was I, I tried to cheat code my way in which kind of worked I mean it beat it beat standing in line so yeah that was that was how I got there so but then I did I stayed on top of them I was like hey yeah cool can I get more work and they're like yeah cool and all the bookers the venues grade you they give you like a A through an F mm-hmm. each venue and if you get enough A's as a middle you know eventually they'll let you you know close one of their you know real garbage venues and then if you get an A there you can you know it's it's really, and so most of your career is going to be determined by people that don't know comedy, never did comedy, would never be good at comedy, and really have no business determining your career. But that's just what this is. So, that's <laughs> even this is the biggest names in the world that, you know, the Burt Kreischers, whatever, if he pisses off one guy in Ohio, he'll just never work there again, mm. no matter how good he is. So, um, do you guys think, oh, go ahead. I feel like that's that's true to an extent, but now when once you get past that level, you know, Burke question can work wherever he wants now. Yeah, because he sells tickets. Right, he yeah. just gets a theater. He just he doesn't go to the comic club anymore. Yeah. Right? But as far as like a press kit, if you're mm-hmm. trying to figure out what you should do on a press kit, find a go to a comics website, go to Ben Jones, Tom Simmons, any of these guys that, that you might maybe know. Mm-hmm. Just fucking ask them. Be like, yo, what's your press kit look like? Can I get a look at that? I mean, it's the best way to figure out what it is. I mean, it's it's videos, it's bios, it's uh, links and and credits, and it's it's your comedy resume is mm-hmm. basically that. So and there's different forms of that. Being able to skip it is nice. I've been able to skip it too. I'm also horrible at it, which is why I tried to skip it. But uh, having that press kit is basically giving you the ability to cold call for work. Okay. But I mean, the best way to do it is just to be funny somewhere. And they'd be like, hey, can I be funnier for longer next time? Yeah, yeah. that, that was probably my next question. Do you think it's better to be to just go to places um, or to just kind of... What's better is to be able to do both and mm-hmm. actually have your shit together. Yeah. Where you can, you, know, you can do all the press kit stuff and you can be funny. Like, it's better if you can do that. 
Eric and I are just messes of human beings, so we aren't as good at that. But I'm telling you right now, if you can get a video of yourself doing stand-up for 29 minutes and change, mm-hmm. and you're getting like five, six laughs a minute, if you have that video, you need one copy of that. You know, And then you can sit every booker in America, even the bigger ones, you know, the Funny Bones and all the, the biggest clubs in the country, you send them a video of you doing half an hour of non-hacky, non-super like racist, non-stolen material of you really crushing for 29 minutes and change, they will all immediately give you work. Okay. That's all you got to do. And if you, I mean, if you do that, and then you have to work your way up and you get all that other stuff. But mm-hmm. it's, it's not as hard as people make it out to be. It's also insanely hard, obviously, because nobody can do that. Nobody yeah. gets their 29 minutes and change video where they're just crushing every second and they're not doing one joke that they're like, about. So. Yeah. How do you, just like on like some, uh, some comments of like, how do you guys usually feel like when you guys do a show and it's like you have a joke that's not uh, politically correct, I guess, how do you kind of like go about with like uh, negative reactions to the, to the crowd, from the crowd with things like that? I, I mean, it depends like, on what you define as a negative reaction. I mean, if somebody stands up and throws something at you or somebody's calling like, you racist mother, or if it's just somebody going, because I mean, that, that's kind of the point. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what you're going for, right? That's why you were telling that joke was you wanted a reaction. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I feel like if you're, I mean, to some extent, obviously you want that reaction, then you want to follow it up and make that same person laugh. Mm-hmm. Like the idea is you want to make their asshole like that's kind of the, the the tension and release of comedy is you you make them tighten up and then you pay off making them tense up by giving them the release. Like that's. That's mm-hmm. how, how that I mean, but in that. <laughs> I mean, when you were back in the day, when you were telling your jokes about like herpes, like and all that stuff, that's what you were doing. It was that, uh, yeah, but I was stupid and didn't know any better, right? I'm saying. Yeah, right. So I was doing that because it's low hanging fruit and it's easy. Because when you don't know what you're doing, you do what's easy. I, I never, I never go on stage and think I'm gonna make them cringe. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think. I, so I also don't really think I do a lot of like politically incorrect material either but I'm, I'm positive I do I, I had an old lady on New Year's tell me to go fuck myself you know what I mean like and I think about that woman every day now like she don't realize I think about her she hadn't thought about me since yeah. but I think about her every day you know I wasn't telling I, you know I, I started talking about troops and there's one specific guy that I didn't like in Pittsburgh he threw his leg at me on stage and I messed <laughs> with him right like I messed with him but then she came up to me afterwards like I just want to tell you that I don't really appreciate what you said about troops. I was like, oh, I'm sorry, you feel that way? And, and she's like, yeah, my husband uh, uh, you know, was in the service. It's like, oh, I had a lot of fam- friends and family in the service. It's like, the bit wasn't intended. It wasn't a generalization. And then she's like, I don't like your, you don't even give a fuck and this and that. I was like, all right, sorry. And then she's like, go fuck yourself. And she said it a couple times. And before I like, I wish death on her and all this shit. <laughs> uh, I feel like that's a little bit different. But like politically incorrect, I don't know. Like, if you're, and this is this has nothing to do with like the business of comedy. Is like my yeah. personal opinion. If you're politically incorrect, you're probably just stupid. Like you know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. so. I mean that's. I mean honestly, do you have like you and I talk about everything there is to talk about on stage, right? Like, there's never been a point where I've seen you like not cover a, a topic if you wanted to talk about it. But I've never seen you do a joke where afterwards, I was like, really? That's the way you see the world? Like, I just feel like, it, I mean, at this point, what's, it's not wrong to talk about that mm. stuff. I mean. Is that because I'm, is that because we're older? Do you know what I mean? Like, because I'm older now. Maybe. Like, I was at a show the other night, and I, 
I saw a bunch, like a bunch of dudes were on stage just like bitches, 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 and I was like, oh, it's gross. I don't like that. Like I don't like it. And I, mm-hmm. I don't. When I was like 15, 16, I think I thought like that because it's where I grew up and shit. Yeah. But like, as soon as I got older, I had a daughter. I started fucking women. I was like, that's gross. You can't talk about women. <laughs> you can't talk about women like that, right? But uh, so yeah. But I see people do it. So politically incorrect. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Like I've seen you talk about shit. I talk about shit. I can talk about anything. I just, and this is completely, I'm just backing up my own shit because I just like my opinion. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so I like my opinion. Right. So for me, I don't, but I'm also like, I'm not racist. I'm not homophobic. Mm-hmm. I'm not a sexist. I'm, you know, I, I probably some other bad shit, but I don't know. But, but, right, but like, I don't, I've talked about race on stage. Yeah. And I've been racial, but yeah. I haven't been racist on stage. And if I talk about race on stage, Almost assuredly, three quarters of the crowd is is whatever race I'm talking about. So I don't want to talk if I if I'm talking about uh, uh, black people, yeah. I'm not doing that in front of white people because those laughs are not the right laughs. Yeah. But if I'm in front of a, a black room and I'm talking about that, it's because I'm relating uh, an opinion I have. It's never a look down things. I don't know when people do that. It's just like it's too easy. So I, yeah, I don't know how to answer your fucking question. I just I think it's stupid. Don't do it. <laughs> I mean, is there like is there a particular joke that you want to tell? Oh that my you... god, yes. Actually, I wrote all right. like a couple. So, of all right, so let's. All right, so like pretty much the joke is like you know like people always talk about like, you know how white people get in trouble for like saying racist shit, but people don't know that like black like black men we still get in trouble for saying racist shit too. Yeah, like it's still people looking at us saying racist shit, and it's like. Black people, we can't just say the Jews. Like we can't, we can't just be like yeah, the Jews. You can whether, say it quicker than I can. Whether we're like upset or not, <laughs> yeah. right? But also, no one can say it. Yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. So it's not just saying black people can say it. Like you can say the Jews as a people of the Jews. You can't say the Jews. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's a difference in the, in the way you say it. Yeah, because like because uh, like where I was trying to go, it was like a. Uh, it was like Farrakhan, like Louis Farrakhan is the only black person that can just go on national television and be like, the Jews, and just not get arrested for Right, but that's because he has a, a, a thick skin built up. He's said it so many times. Yeah, and like he has he a got, fucking army. He got shit stuff. for it. He just yeah. doesn't care anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's kind of the, the, the reality of it. You can mm-hmm. say any goddamn thing you want on stage as long as you have the thick skin to deal with it. You can go on and bitches and hoes and or you can go on and just raise you can whatever you want to say. You can do any fucking thing you want to do on stage you as long as the, the thing in your black voice like that wasn't my black voice. <laughs> that was my excited voice. <laughs> I think you have uh, and I know we're fucking up your audio because we gotta keep moving this mic, so whatever. Okay. It's just stupid class, I don't care. Um, but it, like you have freedom of speech. You can say mm-hmm. anything you want. That's yeah. great. Well you don't you don't have freedom of repercussion. Like, yeah. you are going to have, if you say some stupid shit, people are going to call you for your stupid shit. Okay. Now, you can say it. I can sit here and be racist as fuck right now. Mm-hmm. I can do that. Nobody can stop me. But what they can do is, like, react to the shit I say. And that that's, you know what I mean? So I have that freedom, but people have the freedom to react. And then I have to deal with those repercussions. So, I don't know. So what, what's the joke? So you, uh, uh, it was like a... Like, then when, like, black people can, like, reference other races if we add the N-word at the end. So, okay. it's like, oh, it's like, 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 we can still be mad, but we got to be like, oh, that Jewish nigga over there. Because <laughs> somehow, the, somehow the word nigga makes them human again. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, but why do you hate the Jews? I personally don't. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but there is, like, a for whatever reason, there is, like, a slight beef between blacks and Jews. I don't know what's going on. 
I mean, that's I mean, I that's going on first off, that's fucked up. I mean, the the Jews are the ones that came down south and represented you guys in court and stuff and made all so you know, show some respect. They saved your lives. I'm just kidding. I'm just, <laughs> I mean, I'm kidding. But I mean, kind of true too. Learn some history. Like it's, is it is the black and Jewish thing like when I hang out with my real sad, depressed friends, right? I hang out with my real sad, depressed friends, and we kind of play this game of like trauma tennis where we try to figure out who's more who's been more traumatized and been through more shit is that what's going on with you guys like are you both like pretty much oh we've been slaves we've been slaves and then it's like all right well which one's worse you know what i mean i mean i feel like that's pretty much what's happening like i don't know if you guys remember i was watching like the the 90s documentary on cnn uh-huh the decades mm-hmm. yeah yeah and uh they were talking about how I guess like it was some like in New York some Jewish guy had like hit like hit and killed yeah uh, he, he uh, with a vehicle hit and uh, killed uh, killed one kid and killed then, one like kid and injured, injured critically another. the second kid yeah yeah so it, and, like that caused like a lot of tension also right my, but that was that tension was already boiling at the surface and that yeah. was just like that was the release valve so yeah I get that I was like my time uh, like growing up my dad was like uh, until I was in high school my dad was very like nation of Islam. Okay. So like, I, I grew up having to like watch a lot of Farrakhan speeches. He does not speak but, too kindly. But you also have to understand that like you like you grew up here in the South. Yeah. So your your perspective on Jewish people is sort of like the same way when you go to like the upper Midwest. Their perspective on Black people, mm-hmm. like they might have a lot of opinions, but they're not based in anything. Like you don't know any <laughs> Jewish people in the same way people in the Midwest. They can yeah. say all the horrible racist things they want, but they they they've, they've met like. Uh, but I mean, uh, yeah, pre comedy. How much time did you spend hanging out with Jewish guys? Oh, I went to like a bar mitzvah and all that. Right. When I was, but like, outside of that, it was like, you know, I went to a couple of houses, had a few dinners. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not, it's different. If you grew up, if you grew up in New York, if you grew up in New York, you know, it's different because, you know, as a black person in New York, there's a good chance that, you know, you dealt with Jewish people every day and there was yeah. tension. It's a different thing than the in theory shit that you've experienced in the South versus you know, someone growing up in New York and dealing with, like, in this, I mean, honestly, in the South, you know, your enemy shouldn't be, you know, Jewish people. It should be me, you know. It's, yeah. Like, I'm the one that wronged your people, not, not those guys. Like him specifically. Definitely me. I got, uh, so, uh, two things. One, I own all the land. <laughs> one, so much land. One, uh, that shit in New York was like, that was just all, uh, it was a bunch of different piles of immigrants all in one place. Mm. So that's that's a weird tension that I don't think we could understand outside of that. Yeah. Uh, if we take that joke, this is what I love doing. This is why I love comedy. Take that joke mm-hmm. and you flip it around. And it's a Jewish person telling that joke about black people. How do you feel about that? It really does have to depend on, because it's like, I guess, what do you have to say? Oh, that black kike over there? Like, I don't know. Gonna, like, how is that, that going to work? I don't think the Jews have taken kike back, though. Do you know what I, I mean? Yeah, so that's a little bit different. But uh, so, but I mean, so yeah, you have to stretch what reality is there. But mm-hmm. I think the answer to your question is is that thought. Mm-hmm. Put that thought into. I always, I love. That's why I love coming. It's like, which direction can we look at it from? I love mm-hmm. as many different, and I, I don't do it as often as I should. But whatever, like if James is telling me, oh, I got a bit. All right, so you're telling me you got a bit about, you know, black people and Jews, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, we'll take it from every perspective, right? From from a black guy telling a joke, from a Jewish guy telling a joke, uh, from a Jewish guy hearing the joke, or black, you know what I mean? Like, every different perspective. So I think the answer really is, like, for that specific joke, 
if it came towards you as opposed to from you, how would you feel about it? And I think that's the answer, which I don't know what that is, but I think that's the answer. See, but also, I feel like that's a weird question because because I like I do comedy. It's like I, like I can. It's of more easy for me to be like, yeah. oh, like, I can see what maybe what you were trying to do. Yeah, but think of that it, more, more. Think of that joke instead of about a specific group. I mean, do it in the way you just told us, where it's about you're literally naming off all the different racial groups, and then yeah, see that that's what like, I was thinking. Was like, I can see, because like that's the f- one that's where it's funny. Like mm-hmm. that's the funny part too. So the way you get into doing that is is where you need to be thoughtful. Like, mm-hmm. and that's as long as you're as long as you're thoughtful and thinking of other people's feelings when you're getting into it. Then once you get to that series of of punchlines, I mean, you're not the only word that you could say that could offend anybody. Is the one you're allowed to say. So, I, yeah. mean, I, mean, I mean, it's not like, I mean, unless you're going to be sitting there being like, these kike, and, you know, like, unless, yeah. unless that's what you're doing, which I don't but think it is. Even, no. That's why you know those words are equal. You just, right, yeah, because I, you know, because I dropped a K. Yeah. I fully said kike. You didn't say the K word, but you won't yeah. say it again. Yeah, right, right. I mean, I mean yeah. we're, we are being recorded here. <laughs> I, need a, I need a career. I know, I know, I need a career. No. <laughs> but that's a, uh, I don't know, like, you. Structure your material that as long as like look, I, I know you well enough to know you're a good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're being truthful, you can talk about anything. Yeah, I mean, I go on stage, I talk about race, I talk about the trans stuff, and I, I talk to it about, about it from the point of view of a forty year old white dude that's like, I'm coming around, like I'm, it's, I'm, hey, I'm, I'm right there at the tail end of the comet, still holding on, I'm catching up, like that's. As long as you frame whatever you're talking about from your point of view, then it's going to be, unless there's like a nefarious thing in you that I don't know about, you're never going to probably cross that line. And if yeah. you do cross that line, just rein it in and be like, oops. Yeah. I mean, you're at a very low stakes point in your career now. You can make all the mistakes. And nobody's, yeah. like, dude, honestly, nobody gives a fuck what you're doing on stage right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, they want you to be funny. Other than that, Figure out where your legs go. Okay. I've done, I've done that on stage where I, I'll like lose my mind and say a bunch of shit. And I'm like, you can record it? Like, what are you going to do? You can't ruin my career. Like, I'm in the bottom of a coffee house in front of six people. Like, what, are you going to make it worse? Like, you can't do it. But I, I think that's what's interesting about comedy. Like, so the trick is that I think, when I, when I feel like I can talk about anything on stage, is when I let the crowd get to know me really quickly, mm-hmm. as efficiently, as quickly as possible. Once they know me and they trust me, I can say anything because yeah. they know it's not malicious. And it, like I'll, I can, at that point, once you know me, it's like if you got a really gay friend. Anybody got that really yeah. gay friend? Like you know, you see gay people, right? The difference between going up to a gay person that you just met and asking them some questions you got. Yeah. And going up to a gay friend that you've known for a while and knows you mm-hmm. and asking those same fucking questions is so different. Because they know you. They know you're a good person. You're just asking out of general curiosity. You're not asking out of a place of like judgment or hate. Mm-hmm. That, gay, that person who just met you, they don't know that. Right? So if you're curious, so it, that's what's interesting on stage is when you, when you let them know where you're coming from, as long as you, as long as you trust what you're saying and you're proven to be a good person, then, uh, at least not a malicious person, then you're fine in their mind. Yeah, it really is. A sp- and that's one of the, to me, the hardest parts about, you know, the, when you're still doing short, like, mic sets, 
mm-hmm. as the majority stage time you're getting, yeah. is you're not learning how to develop a relationship with an audience. You're learning how to go on stage, do this material, get the fuck off stage. Like yeah. you got, I got five minutes, I got eight minutes. That's like you're going up, you're trying to be, you're trying to. I got these jokes, I got to work on. And where when you when you get to the point where you're getting to do longer sets, even if they don't know you from Adam, it doesn't matter. You can go on stage and you can develop that relationship early on, and then you can go places that you can never go. Yeah. In those like short, tight little sets. I mean, you can go in those tight little sets, but it's more of a tightrope. Mm-hmm. Where once you've earned their trust, then you can then you can really play around and stuff. And that's I don't disagree with that, but what I would say is like I spent uh, I spent the first couple years trying to figure out what the best first line I could say is. To get that, how much information could I give them in one sentence? Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. Because when you go to New York and you're doing three, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, tops, you have to, you do have to develop that relationship. Same as you do in a 20, 30 minute set. You just have to do it way more efficiently. So it is super hard to do it, but that's one of the skills that makes you really good right. at it, right? So yeah. it's like, what sentence can I say upon meeting you that gives you the most information about who I am? So that's like, that's a way to sneak around and get them to like you really quickly. Mm-hmm. I, I had two of them, and I would go up, and it was like, boom, these. And then, and they were bad. But at the time, those are what worked. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's a trick. Okay. But, I mean, yeah, you're, obvious, you're always going to find, like, one, the, you're going to discover as you do comedy that there are certain cheat codes that work for you mm-hmm. in terms of engaging the crowd. Like, exactly like you're talking about. There's, like, certain lines you can say, just certain ways you can be on stage. And you're going to learn those as you learn yourself. Mm-hmm. And those are going to, I mean, and deploy those when necessary, you know? And okay. that's just about, all right, so what, uh, let's get through your, your homework questions. Uh, another question, what is, as a comedian, what is your typical day like? Like, you, um, <laughs> like, you know, when you wake up, all that uh, good stuff. Like, if, like, most days, like, when I'm on the road, it's, it's, it's get up, depending on how long the drive is. Mm-hmm. If I've got, like, six hours to the next gig... Then I get up in time to get to the next town by four. So I get up at nine on the road by ten. If it's a shorter drive, then it's sleep until I have to check out of the hotel to get to the next town. If I'm there for the whole weekend, dude, it's just it's literally you lay around. You got your notebook beside you. You got your phone beside you. Mm-hmm. You're like fucking flipping through. You're watching TV. You know, a lot of jerking off. A lot of jerking off. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's a lot of that. A lot of that. Uh, I mean, then you, you know. Yeah, you eat early enough that you know you're not walking on stage too full. Have a couple of drinks mm-hmm. if if that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I kind of stopped pre-show drinking. I used to always two beers before yeah. I went on stage, just because it sort of got rid of whatever rolls you have yeah. before you go on. But that's not really a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. So now I actually usually just walk up with my first beer in my hand, okay. and then I like I'll drink throughout the show just having fun. But like I don't need the like the social lubricant of it anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of got past that. So. But it's it really just a the the day in the life is uh, trying to observe as much as you can, mm-hmm. you know, look around, sleep a lot, uh, be depressed a lot, um, you know, at least once or twice a day you think about just killing yourself. Amen. I mean, I yeah, I mean you you know you have a family and loved ones like only for selfish reasons. <laughs> That's who we are. <laughs> What about like when you're not on the road? How how are those days like? I mean, you know, you get up. Like for me, I got a kid, so I got to deal mm-hmm. with the kid. So I get up and you know deal with the kid. Uh, watch a lot of news. Uh, fucking sit around. Way too much time on the internet. Like way too much time. 
I'll I'll go on. I just go on deep dives where I'll just start following news links until I get to like the original research papers and all that kind of shit. And mm-hmm. I spend too much time doing that kind of stuff. And uh, I don't know. Just every time you like, if you say something funny, write it down. If a funny thought pops in your head, write it down. That's I think that's the only real difference between a comic and non comics is you just write the funny shit down. And because everybody's somewhat funny, and if you can pile enough of it together, you can get paid to do it. So. Yeah. How about you? Um, I got five different kind of days. So, like, if I'm on the road, one of the, the best things uh, that I was taught is to get out of the hotel. Because mm-hmm. my thing used to be go to where I was going, uh, get to the hotel, check in, go to the club, do the show, get some food, go back to the room, stay in there until it was time to go back, just rinse and repeat, and then leave and do it again, right? And... Uh, that's like that's like a quick way to death, man. Like it's just sad. It's 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 so lonely. It's stupid, and you know. Uh, so what I started doing is like, all right, I gotta get up at like ten eleven, mm-hmm. get out, go downtown, find the brunch spot. Like no chain food, find the brunch spot, do that, get out. Like what's funny, the uh, the guys who I see that go out into the town in whatever town they're in. Mm-hmm. They walk on stage in much better shape because they like they have uh, energy. Yeah, for me, that's the local record stores. Yeah, like I do, I, I do try to if there's like a, a if there's a cool like real place or if there's a cool whatever, I try to go there and eat. But also, like every new town I go to, I uh, I, I try to hit the record stores. Mm-hmm. I try to How see many what they. Um, sometimes I'll come back with none. Uh, sometimes I'll come back with like 11. Like there's a place in Jacksonville, Florida called DJ Records mm-hmm. that like I came back from that place with like 40 records. Because it was, I mean, it was literally every record you can think of. And this dude, I mean, he's been in business since the 50s. And you can't find anything in there. But if you just tell him, he knows which stack to go dig it out of. Like, this place is amazing. Um, so, like, I try to find record stores. I'll, I, uh, I, I've been collecting, like, record store T-shirts and that kind of stuff just to have as a, like, oh, yeah, when I was there, I got, you know, that kind of shit. But, yeah, he, he's, he's very right about the, the get out of the room. Um, there's also days, if you're doing Thursday through Sunday, like, you get there Thursday. Usually, yeah, you know, it's, some days you're just, you're stuck in the room. And, like, if you've been back to a city two or three times, you kind of run out of getting out. Like, it, but yeah. you do need to do that. He's absolutely right. It, it's so much better when you do. I mean, the, the fifth time you've been to Atlanta and you hit all the record stores and all that kind of stuff, it's a little different. Mm-hmm. Where, like, I honestly... Like I spend, I spend a lot of time on the phone with my other comics friends that are on the road. Mm-hmm. Like if like if I know like Ben Jones is out, and I'm out, not Ben and I'll be on the phone for like three hours. Like whether it's because one of us is driving or we're just mm-hmm. getting through the day. So there's a lot like Simmons and I are on the phone a lot. Uh, it's just you know. It's nice to have people who share that schedule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. You ever been to Amoeba in L.A.? Uh, I haven't. So good, dude. Yeah, Amoeba Records. You gotta Dude, get yeah, it's like real touristy now, but I mean, like, in the back room, it's ridiculous. Everything. Crazy. What but type yeah. of records do you collect? Just um, honestly, almost, like, almost anything you can think of. I've got, uh, I've got a weird, uh, like, 30s and 40s, like, like deep cut R&B collection. Mm-hmm. Um, like, old blues stuff. Um, comedy albums. I, uh, I don't, it's not so much about getting the, like, the, the big ones as much as getting the like the w- weird ones. 
Yeah. Like there's a lot of old, like Red Fox did party records, but there were also a, a lot of other weird party records that came out back then. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got, I went on this run where I was just getting the old like trucker comedy albums just because <laughs> just they're fucking weird. And like you can almost only get those on tape. And so finding like, so when you can find the actual vinyl for them, mm-hmm. like nobody knows they're worth anything, but they are actually. And so that can shit. Yeah, the actual late tracks themselves yeah, or yeah. Look, yeah, I'm looking for like uh, the Richard Pryor, Sam Kennedy, no, Richard Pryor, Steve Martin, uh, who else was that? Yeah, this was never on A track. No, no, no. It's uh, Richard Pryor, Steve Martin, Roddy Dangerfield. Those mm, I had those yeah. A tracks when I was a kid, and everywhere I got like thrift shops mostly. But yeah, you you got to find shit like that to do. Yeah. Um, and then if you have media in the morning, do the radio. That's a nightmare. But like depends, <laughs> we were just talking about this a little bit ago, like because I and that's why I was asking James like, uh, you know, like which station is going to in the because <coughs> I always gauge how much somebody likes different types of media by how good they are as a comic. Yeah. If anybody likes morning drive radio, they're the worst comics. Yeah. If if they if they really enjoy NPR radio, they probably like smart people because the, the NPR radio like it looks less fun. It's the most. It's not the most fun. It's it's better. I, yeah. I was on morning radio in Erie, uh, I think it was Erie, uh, like two months ago. And uh, we did one station, great, right? We're crashing over there. And so like five stations in the same building. We go to the station right next to it. It was like pop. Like, I don't even know, like, I don't know what an Ariana Grande is. Like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> but that's what they're playing on. Right? And so we're in there. And like everybody's talking. I'm not the headliner. I'm the feature at this point. So I'm not like taking control of this. Mm-hmm. I'm just standing there. And uh, headline is here, and the two other people on the on the on the right, and they're all hey, what, hey, you know. And uh, they said something. I was gonna make fun of. I was, I was gonna like crush them, and uh, I started. To, and everybody just stopped talking. So it's radio. They give you the chance to talk, and I didn't say it because I took it back. I edited myself because I was gonna hurt their feelings. And then they just they were like, you gotta, you gotta talk. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't even want to be here. Yeah, no, it's it's really, especially when you have to do the junket stations where, because most, like, Clear Channel owns most local radio stations now. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you walk in, they'll have four different stations in the same building where you're, you're literally, like, there's a country station, there's an R&B station, there's a hip-hop station, there's a rock station, there's a top 40 station. Mm-hmm. And, like, they're in each there's a booth for each one. And it's weird because the buildings are, like, super, like, segregated and awkward and uncomfortable. But, like, if you're at the right club, then they're going to have you bounce to each show that morning. Mm-hmm. And so you'll go from vibe to vibe where you're literally in there with the, and hey, it's morning. <laughs> like that. And then it's, and then you got the girl going, oh, Steve. And you got like, you got that. And then you go to the hip hop station and they're just like, we, we don't have a lot of white people here. Thanks. Like it's like that. <laughs> Why did you were about to do that voice and you didn't do it? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it. You no, but it's. Doing, you were, oh, Steve. And then you were about to do the hip hop station. How I felt like I did do the hip hop station voice more than anything, but all right. But maybe I'm just not good at impressions. <laughs> but no, it is weird. And then you go, like, you go into the country station, and, like, they're just, it's so weird because they're, they're not pro-Trump people. They're not at all, they don't even really like country music, but mm-hmm. this is the job they landed. They wanted to do radio, so they're doing morning drive on a country station. So they kind of have to do this forced fake patriotism stuff, and, all, and it's real awkward and uncomfortable, and you can tell they don't like it either. But like you, if you push them a little bit, you'll just see them like start to crack a little bit, and that's super fun. Like in a completely damaging way, like for their psyche, but it's really fun. And I don't know, it's but I just, I don't like I don't like doing that kind of stuff because you never feel comfortable 
Or at least yeah. I haven't gotten to where I feel comfortable in those situations. But maybe other people do. But. I think the people who feel comfortable are sociopaths. If you feel comfortable in a pop-in on a morning radio station, you're a sociopath. You don't know it, but you are. Like, I don't... Yeah, I mean, you can be good on it and not be comfortable. But being comfortable and being good on it, man, like, I can tell something about you right away. Like, I don't like you. Your parents loved you. And, uh, <laughs> you, you, like, you never... You never got pants in front of your friends in high school or some shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you never had a really, truly embarrassing moment. And you also, like, killed pigeons. There's something. Yeah. Like, Goolsby, you had a loving father, didn't you? No. You sure? <laughs> Sometimes I think you did. No, I don't no, know. No, no, I, no, I can tell Goolsby is. No. I know I'm I'm very curious. Uh, I mean, you want to break down your psychological profile right I'm now? Very, I'm real good at it. Yeah. All right. Uh... Uh, close with your with the females in your life, like yeah. uh, mother, grandmother. Yeah. Right. Uh, didn't grow up like super poor, but like not. You weren't wealthy. You were like lower middle class. Yeah. Right. 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 Uh, you you either got you either like I feel like I'm doing the horoscope shit. Yeah. You either got one sibling or you got no siblings. Yeah, I got one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you want me to keep going? Like I could do. I'm telling you, like I know. Yeah, but he's also basing this completely off the fact that he knows your grandma had MacBook money. That's true too. So. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know that. All right, back to questions. Let's get through this shit. I got like. Yeah, what is uh, the most enjoyable part? Do you think of, of being a comedian? What, what do you enjoy the most? Yeah, it's just it's just the stage part. Like yeah, I, I like I do like we were talking about this earlier about like I'm getting to a point now where my body isn't as capable of driving for like 16 hours, mm-hmm. like a day, like to get to, from show to show and to get home and stuff. But, but I do, I do enjoy that part. I like, I like, I like sitting behind the wheel. I can be eight hours on the highway and it's fine. Thinking and writing jokes and mm-hmm. not interacting with other human beings and like, you know, my favorite things. Yeah. But uh, I mean, really it's the, it's, it's the show. Um, and then it, as soon as the show is over, it's just awkward and uncomfortable and you're, you're being very nice and friendly and people are paying you compliments that, feel weird yeah. and there being a, and I, like I I should sell merch everybody sells merch it makes money I just can't and I keep mm-hmm. wanting to and I've tried it and I just can't stand there and sell stuff which is stupid because I'm throwing away so much money yeah but I just I can't will myself that t-shirt for, a while, for like a minute like I had and then I threw them away because I was like <laughs> I just can't do this like it was like I tried and I just, I don't know, like, I, I need to get successful enough that I have a guy that just does that while mm-hmm. I stand there and shake hands. That's usually, I'm that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I get work. I go to, uh, I'll go to clubs. I'll find, I'll find a headline. And I'm not like, this isn't facetious. It's not fake. Like, if I like whoever the headliner is, most times I do. They're typically almost all good people. I'll go stand by the merch table. Hey, you need anything? And then as soon as they're tied up and taken too long, I'll show somebody some merch, man. Like, what are you looking at? I got different sizes, da da da. I start the sales pitch. I like that stuff. Actually, Dave Yates, who features for me a lot, um, mm-hmm. sells hot sauce. Because I don't sell merch, I sell the fuck out of his hot yeah. sauce. Yeah. Like, oh, I'll hustle the shit out of, I like, out of Dave's hot sauce. I just can't stand there with my own shit. But no, I'm, I can hustle the fuck out of somebody else's, like... Dude, he sold so much hot sauce on this last run we and I did. And the hot sauce he makes is good, too, so, like, I don't feel bad about yeah. it. But, like, it's, I mean, that's so true, though. It's, that is such a real fucking statement you just made. But, but yeah, it's just the show. The show is all of it. Yeah, I, uh, so, I, some, I don't know who said it. I, I'm not, I don't want to take credit for it. Um, there's probably somebody famous. but some, uh, you, When you're doing comedy, you don't get paid to do the show. You get paid to get to the show. 
Mm-hmm. You, you're getting paid. When you get to a show and you're doing a weekend, you're doing five shows, you're doing 20, 30, 60 minutes, whatever it is. However much you're getting paid, you're not getting paid for that time you're on stage. You're getting paid for booking the thing, for driving there, for mm-hmm. being there, for dealing with the people. That's what you're getting paid for. You're not getting paid for the show. So I, being on stage, when I like black out and it's like, and I'm just on fire, mm-hmm. that's it. I mean, because, you know, but honestly, like, when you're on stage and it's going poorly, that's better than when I'm off stage and it's going well. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, the, yeah, the, I that. It's just better. Uh, the other thing that's good is I hate the people after the show, uh, but every now and again I do get surprised and have, like, a really, like, cool interaction. When I, when I There was a stretch of a couple of years when I was talking about some really deep personal stuff, mm-hmm. and people were coming up to me after the show, and we were having, like, real connections and shit like that. That was, like, I got some real friendships out of that. People who also survived some traumatic stuff and we could relate to each other. And people had, at that point, were telling me, I was the first person that ever told that certain things had happened to them. And mm-hmm. it's like, I really respect it. I appreciated being in that position. It got tiring because it was too much emotionally. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was the second best thing. But the first best thing is always just being on stage, getting, getting hugs via laughter is, like, the best shit. I mean, you do. There are that. That is. There are some dope after show. Like the, like Grand Haven, Michigan. There was a, there was this couple that came up, and they they were just like, "Look, we own a, a restaurant right down the street. Like, after you guys get out of here, like, come, like, have some drinks with us, hang out." And we got down there, and it turns out that the that the restaurant that they like that they owned um, had was just filled with all this local art, and they had done a lot of the local art themselves, mm-hmm. and it was. Getting getting to hang out with those guys and like fucking two giant plates of free enchiladas and all this free booze and hang out with these you know very progressive open minded cool dope people yeah. like just for, for you know for like four hours we just stayed there no reason to still be there we had to get up early had a long drive the next day but we did so those moments are awesome um, they're also fairly rare and it, the more you force trying to find those. Like, yeah, like they've like they've got to come to you. It's got to be all that. So that stuff's cool. But really, it's the show. Um, there's the moment when you write uh, something clever. Obviously, you're like, ah, but that's gonna work. And you know, there's that moment. And then then when it actually works, you're like, I was right. And then when it doesn't work, you just pretend like you never wrote it. And like it's. You know. <laughs> I never have that moment of like, oh, this is gonna be good. Every time I write something, I'm like, oh, this is gonna be the worst. And then I'm, I gotta get proven wrong. Uh, but when you meet those people at a show or after the show, it's because you just told them every. They get to know you so fast. Yeah. Like so, since you've been starting to do comedy, uh, the friends you've met through comedy, like this is my experience. I've been closer with people I've known in comedy than I have with people outside of comedy because it takes me about a year to get to know somebody on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. A regular human, it's like a year. A comedian, I get to know and six days yeah because i'm learning so much about him so fast right mm-hmm. and so yeah there's that there's that stage thing the other thing that's really cool and then we'll go to the next question the other thing that's been really cool is i've had a few opportunities to work a few clubs a lot of clubs where i go on stage and i'm like four minutes in and i, I look down on my feet and i realize where they are and i'm like this is crazy like i when i was at caroline's i was like mm-hmm. this is like Everybody's had their feet right here. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like Chappelle. Chappelle stands right here. Do you know what I mean? And like mm-hmm. that, a couple times when it happened at a few different clubs, like it freaked me out. Like I, was, I got caught. I got through. 
Like, I got thrown off because I was just like, ooh, that's too much. Like, it hit yeah. me hot. But then, like, when I started realizing that it was cool, uh, that, that's a pretty good moment. It's like, everybody I respect that's done comedy has their feet have been in the same exact spot of mine. Like, that's, mm-hmm. like, that's crazy to me. Like, that's, you, if I woke up and was like, I really would love to be a, a basketball player, I'm not going to make the Bulls. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if you say, I want to do comedy... Yeah, I, I've already performed with guys that, you know what I mean, that I love, and I loved mm-hmm. as a kid. Like, that's it's crazy. You, I don't know what else you, where else you get that experience. I mean, that's true. Like, it's even just on a, like, hanging out at the store, like, in L.A., just mm-hmm. being there. And you're literally sitting there having a conversation with somebody you've seen on TV. And then you realize standing behind you is Judd Apatow. And then Patton Oswalt just walked by. And then there's Joey Diaz and there's Joe Rogan. And then, oh, Burr's coming and Marin just left. And they're all head nod, hey, how's it going to you? Mm. Like, when you're in that moment and you're like, oh, yeah, like, rock is dropping by later. Like, that, that outside of being on stage, being in that environment and being embraced as a comedian mm. by those people and, like, the validation of that is, and, you know, standing on stage at the store and, like, you're, oh, I'm in the OR and I'm on this stage and this is where this is where Kennison wrote like the bit about being you know raped after you're dead. This is yeah. where he built the bit. You know, he built the bit about you know send them U-hauls, move where the food is. Like this is this is where that was born. Mm-hmm. And like that's an incredible moment. Like that's that's so for me it's like the historic venues. I get a, like a lot of that. Like when I get to do a theater gig, like going out before the show starts and looking up and seeing like oh this place holds 3,500 people and it's about to be full. Like, that's, that's kind of cool. But, you know, yeah, it's, it's the show, mostly. So. All right, next question. All right, uh, I got two more. Uh, one question, what, when, like, what was the moment when you kind of realized, oh, this could be something that you kind of, like, do? Like, you wouldn't have to have, like, a real job. I mean, I think that'll happen for me one day. I'll feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I haven't had a real job since I was, you know, three years in. but And that was only for six months. But, mm-hmm. I don't know, I... Uh, I, like I can live off so little, <laughs> never yeah. like, that I can so I can survive as a comic, but I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I guess probably when I booked opening for Marin, and I yeah, I mean that was. But he he and I were uh, he and I were like hanging out, and he was like Mark Marin, like he's a guy that invented all comedy, kind sort of, you know, yeah. it, like he was like the father of that, and like so a guy that level of like insider people respect kind of dude for him to you know for him to like point out three of my jokes and just be like that's a good joke like that that was probably it (laughs) no that's dope like you know what i mean like he says that like i totally get it uh yeah i've had some experiences like that uh as far as the question i don't know man i think there's different levels of it Mm -hmm. you know like the first time I did comedy, I was, up until that day, I didn't know that you could do comedy. Like, mm. I thought, like, you had to be born into a... A wealthy family. Family, a funny family. Yeah, yeah. You, had, you know what I mean? Or, like, you had, it was reserved for, like, special people. Ben mm-hmm. Stiller's dad was Jerry Right, 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 right. Like, anything like that. I just didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know open mic. But then I started listening to, like, podcasts. I was like, Joe Rogan. And he's like, hey, go to open mics. You do comedy. Stupid. And it's like, all right. And then I moved, and I was like, I'm going to go check out open mics. And I went, and, like, thank goodness that it was horrible 
Because if it would have been good, if I'd have walked into the open mic and everybody would have been like, whew, I'd have been like, I'd have never done comedy. But I saw a bunch of people who weren't funny. And I was like, I can do that. I was, was very, probably. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he didn't talk to me for like six months. Um, none of these guys around here talked to me for six months. They're a bunch of assholes. Uh, but then they were, so I quit my job like six months in. And it mm-hmm. wasn't because, oh, I could do this for a living. It was because I'm going to force myself to figure it out. Like if, yeah. I, like if I have any other options, I'm going to take that because I know this is going to be difficult. And thank, thankfully, it was super difficult, and I didn't have any options. I burned all those bridges, right? Mm-hmm. But as far as, like, there's no moment when you're like, oh, I can do this and make a ton of money. And then maybe there is. If there is, I haven't, I haven't hit that. Mm-hmm. But like James said, I can live on so little, right? Yeah. And, and that really is, like, if you can live like you're poor, you can survive almost anything. So instead of moments where I was like, oh, I can make money, there was moments of validation where it's like, I should keep going. I don't know what happens if I keep going but I should keep going. Mm. And it's like when you work with somebody like James said, when you work with somebody that you respect and when you first stop, that's anybody who's funnier than you. That's anybody who, yeah. for me, it was like James and Crawford and Jordan and guys like that. I was like, mm-hmm. when, when they asked me to go somewhere with them, I was like, fuck it. And then when it was getting booked on my first like real show. And yeah. then when it was opening for one of my heroes, or, you know what I mean? Like every one of those moments. And then it's the venues. And then it's like, so it's just these this short series of accomplishments that there's there's a finite number of these accomplishments, right? There's there's I don't know there's a million things you do, but there's fifty things that are realistic. How many of those can you check off? And as you start checking those off, it's like all right, first book show, first time on the road, first time, first full weekend, first host, first feature, first open for somebody who I used to listen to before I started doing comedy. All of that stuff, mm-hmm. like first check over a certain amount. I remember my first like thousand dollar check. I still, I got it in my house. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. not that much money, but it was like, all right, you know I mean? it can be done. Not uh-huh. that I'm going to be able to, but it yeah. can be done. And you know, that question is probably a much better answer for somebody who's like way more successful. But if you just want to live on it, if you just want to like survive and not starve to death, then we're your guys. I think. Well, <laughs> well no, that was kind of like you know, like you're. You wanted to talk to somebody that needs that that is where you want to be in ten years. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, I said it jokingly off mic before me, but be farther along mm-hmm. in ten years. Like in ten years, you should you should be more established. And the best way to do that is get the fuck out of Greensboro. Yeah, like, that's the, that's the go problem. to go to L.A., go to New York, and dude, Jordan Fisher. I love Jordan Fisher to death. Jordan's funny. He's a great person. He Eric and I used to debate whether or not it was okay to truly corrupt that kid because I wanted to so bad. And he was like, no, he's got a chance at life. Don't corrupt him. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I was like, no, get him to fuck the 48-year-old like, lady with like, wine breath. Do it. And, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I ended up fucking the 48-year-old with wine <laughs> yeah. breath. But behind that. NYP. Yeah. But, <laughs> but no, so it's, uh, so I don't know, but to see, like, like look at what Jordan's done. Like, Jordan has mm-hmm. gone to New York, and within a couple of years, he was writing on a TV show, getting on The Tonight Show, and I was writing for The Tonight Show. Like, if ain't nobody hiring me or Eric here in Greensboro to write for The Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. But Maybe yeah. you can get a spot. I mean, but by being there, you're, there are opportunities here. You can make it from here. I'm not saying that's not possible. Yeah. Um, but your opportunities are so much more frequent. The ability to network, the ability to do all those things. Look at Malcolm Hatchett. Like Malcolm Hatchett. I mean, he is funny. But like Malcolm Hatchett was at the open mic at uh, Laughing Gas, uh-huh. uh, not doing great. Oh, like, 
like not doing great <laughs> at all. Like, and again, Dehaj wasn't doing great at that point either. You know, was, but they were learning. You know, Alex wasn't doing great yet at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, there they are. They're hustling, though. They're doing the work. And Malcolm, the reason that Malcolm is where he is right now, and mm-hmm. Dehaj isn't where Malcolm is right now, is because Malcolm went to LA and Dehaj is still here. Yeah, I mean, and. That, I mean, that's the, just the honest truth. Every mm-hmm. like every opportunity that, that Malcolm has gotten would would have been there for Dehaj had Dehaj gone mm-hmm. instead of stayed. Yeah. And it's so. And again, you don't have to go. You can stay here, Eric. I'm here because I have kids, and Eric's here because I don't know. He, he's Eric. I, I don't know. Uh, I had to walk away to make a phone call, so I don't know what James said that I could disagree with. But I just <laughs> I disagree with whatever he said. Uh, no, Malcolm. Yeah, Malcolm is a good point. Malcolm and Jordan, though, but they're completely different, right? Because when I first saw Jordan, he was already years in, but I assume Jordan's a kind of a freak of nature. He has, he's like, he's just gifted, right? Yeah. Malcolm's like, I, so I, I watched him Sunday. I, I got to see him Sunday, which is the first time I got to see him in a couple of years since he moved to LA, whatever. Um, James is right. You go to New York, you go to LA, you're putting yourself in an opportunity to get more opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, it's just going to shopping. You like steal, shop, and steal, right? Yeah, Jordan short goes, sets, so. Yeah, Jordan goes there. What's funny is like, all right, so Evan Williams goes to New York, and he started right when I started. And when he first came back, I was like, ooh, like that was rough, doing a longer set. But then I go to New York, and I'm like, ooh, he's looking at me like, ooh, that's rough. And then, you know, we end up figuring it out, but it took him longer. I was better at doing longer sets. He was faster at being really funny, really, really short person. You were doing one. Right. But then it, it levels out. Uh, but Jordan was a freak of nature, right? And, mm. and, and Malcolm not so much, but Malcolm put himself... Malcolm is just way funnier than he was. He, when, you, when, I, when I saw Malcolm the other day, usually when I watch somebody on stage, I can look at them, watch them for four or five minutes, I know exactly how long they've been doing comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I didn't know Malcolm, I would have been wrong. Do you know what I mean? Like he, looked, yeah, yeah. he looked funnier than he should be. He, he, was very, he was super comfortable, and that's from being out there and having that experience, and that it shopping him up. He got... He got you know, if he's been there for two years, he got six years worth of North Carolina experience. Yeah. Two years of LA experience is, is you triple that for North Carolina. It takes you three times as long here. Okay. And there's also, when you look, Jordan is, uh, Jordan's such a unicorn because he's a incredibly funny comic with good credit. Mm-hmm. Like wow. that's, like he's a guy, he handles business and yeah. he's really funny. Like, literally, Crawford and Trundy and I like, are running all over the state trying to get to every open mic every night of the week, whatever, whatever. Jordan's like, yeah, I got to work tomorrow, um, so I'm still going to get my stage time, but like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to work. I'm going to save up money so I can move. I'm, you know, my credit's good. Like, those are the things Jordan was doing while he was also running around. trying, to, And he maybe got on stage once less a week, twice yeah. less a week than, than Crawford and I. But he was handling his business and preparing himself for life, mm. and that's if you can do that. Yeah, like, that's where I'm. Because uh, I can't. Like... But I can. All I can do is try to get really funny. Because I can't do the business side. Because I'll, I'll kill myself if I have to. You've gotten better at that. Though. I mean, I have. Like but I mean, it was such a slow process, though. I like to feel like it never happened. <laughs> Jeez. All right. What's the next question on your list? Um, well, actually, I have another question that just popped in my head. Do right. you, what do you think is more important, the the work ethic or just having that raw talent and natural timing? Okay. Um, best way I can describe it, um, the most naturally talented comedian, well, actually, the most naturally talented two comedians I've ever seen um, at the very beginning were Eric Trundy and Anthony Bean, Chico Bean from mm-hmm. Wild Out, um, in terms of just being able to walk on stage and immediately looking like they're supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. Um 
Bean is on TV. He's blah blah blah. He's all you know all that kind of stuff. So the and, and Eric is instant was just instantly funny. He just knew how to stand there, mm-hmm. and and be present and be a part of it. And like I, I'd been seeing Eric on stage for six months before I ever saw him bomb. And I mean I know he had he'd had some rough sets, but but so that path is available. Mm-hmm. There's also some comics that I've seen that started off like Dehaj didn't know what the fuck he was doing the first few times he was on stage. It was not good. Alex Gerritsen, I mean, it wasn't horrible. I mean, but like he Alex Gerritsen, yeah, yeah, Alex Gerritsen, same kind of thing. Like those guys weren't fire out the gate the way Eric was or Bean was. Mm-hmm. But now seeing where Dehaj is, seeing where Alex are, two guys that didn't have that just instant fire on stage. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like the all four of those people have equal chances at, True, true, true success. I mean, Bean's already kind of achieved it in a lot of ways, uh-huh. but but I don't think it matters. I think it matters. It's not where you started at. It's where you're at at the one year mark. Mm-hmm. I to me, you can judge so much more about somebody by where they are, like on their one year anniversary, than you can on their first day. Okay. I mean, because usually most people are gone on their one year anniversary. Most people have already quit. Okay. And out of those that are still there, it's 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 the progress. It's the to me, that's just my guess, though. which is also why I didn't learn Eric's name for the first six months. Cause... Uh, what, <laughs> what was the question? It was like, what do you no, think? Is... I black out whenever James compliments me. <laughs> what, what do you think is more important, though, the work ethic or yeah, having yeah. that? So I, I think like whichever one you have, you want the other one, mm-hmm. right? So uh, I think whichever one you have, you want the other one. I, I, I don't think either one's more important. If I if I could choose to have either one. Depends on what day you ask me. Like, uh, I think if you have the work ethic and you're horribly on, like, you have to have some base level of funny or you can't learn yeah. that. But also with the work ethic, the business, you have to have some base level of that too. I don't have that. I can't acquire. I can try. I try. But every now and again, I do okay. I don't have it. I don't, I can't, if you talk, I mean, the amount of important emails I do not send is astounding. You know what I mean? I feel that completely. Like, I, like, my follow-up game is horrible. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I have, I have unresponded emails from people in Montreal. I have unresponded emails from people in New, like, I have emails I haven't, I'm just bad at it, man. Like, I'm like, I'm gonna do it, but then I'm like, I don't deserve it. I'm not gonna do it. It's like a lot of self-sabotage, right? So, mm-hmm. but that's the fucked up thing is like, Everything to me gets back to mental health shit, right? So I think, like, really funny people are just, they're kind of tortured in some ways. Mm-hmm. And you can't ask them to work in a cubicle because that's not who they are. Like, I'm not a cubicle dude. You know what I mean? If I could, I could, could I, if you told me I, the only way I could survive and my kids could survive was if I stayed in a cubicle, I would do that. Yeah. Maybe, but also I quit my job pretty early in, so maybe I wouldn't. I don't yeah. know. I mean, right. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I think, uh, I think whichever one you have, you want the other one. And I, and I think finding a balance is is. Jordan is like he said is a unicorn. He's good at both. And I think most times people who are good at the business side are not funny. Mm-hmm. But I'm also wrong, because there are tons of them who are funny. I just don't think I don't like them. <laughs> I don't know. I, I would settle for having either. Okay. Either one's fine. Um, but you, you blend, you blend, you like you're not super funny, and you're not yeah. super good at business. Yeah. yeah. 
which makes it so I get to go right there with my everybody. And I'm just good enough at all of it. <laughs> and that's, that, hey, that has been my entire life. It will continue to be my entire life. You know what? How'd you fuck that girl? Just managed it. Just barely got in there, but I did. Yeah. Uh, last question is... Uh, if you could either like give advice to someone who's about to start comedy or who's thinking about starting comedy, or if you got to like restart your your comedy journey with the same knowledge you had now, what do you think would be the most important things to keep in mind from day one? Um, it's such a the response that everybody gives, but but there's one stage time is important. Um, also, if a couple of times, walk into a bar that's got 150 people talking that don't give a fuck that there's a comedy show happening and go on stage and, and experience that and figure out how to make that room look at you and do all those kinds of... And that's a great experience and experience everything you can in comedy. But if you've walked into a bar a couple of times with 150 people that don't give a fuck that a show's happening, yeah. um, you don't have to do that show. What You know, you need to a couple of times so you can mm-hmm. prove to yourself that you did it. But also, oh fuck, do that. Yeah. This is horrible. This is not going to be fun. It's going to be a nightmare. For me, uh, there were a lot of shows that I did because I felt like I had to. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad I did those shows. But also right now, I'm probably not going to go scream over NYP for five minutes to get them to look at me so that I can do five minutes. I'm sorry. I mean, right, maybe. No, but, that's but again, you. That's you. right, right, right. Yeah. right I mean, but I know I can do that trick, and I fucking hated doing it. Mm-hmm. I didn't enjoy it at all. Like I enjoy being on stage. Right. I did not enjoy wrangling drunk twenty-year-olds for five minutes so that I could tell them, you know, three jokes. No, I feel it. You're at a point now. You're at a point now where you don't have to do that. You wouldn't be at the point where you don't have to do it if you hadn't done it. Very true. Do you know what I'm saying? But that's why I said do it, but then you don't have to. So you're saying <laughs> you're saying there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and as long as you do it enough, you don't have to do it eventually, because yeah. that's better than what you said. Well, that's fine. That's <laughs> sure, say it that way. I'm saying have that experience, but no, I mean there are there were nights. What where, experiences have you had that you would take away? Um, I'd have probably skipped the show where there was a shooting in the parking lot. Right, you're, you're, that's, but that's, I, but no, I wouldn't because the story. Because I get the story, right, you get so that it's story. true, and that's also would you true. Give away that experience, you give that to someone else, so you don't have to experience it. That's I dumb. mean, you, all this torture you've been going through—that's why you do what you do. Uh, you are who you are because I'm trying to be healthier now, Eric. I understand that, but I am. I'm. You know what? Here's the thing. <laughs> no, okay, what? Well, if there's you anything to skip, I don't think that's true. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I don't want to forget it. I'm just glad I did it, and I wouldn't want to do it again. But you have I would, it. right? So you're I didn't to say you kids who had James Hodge day one, right? And y'all were like, hey, put the nerve helmets on. Do you know what I mean? I mean, honestly, anybody that's day one, my first advice is, is okay. This is the real. If there is anything else you can do. I can't do anything else but this. I can't do anything else. I've done all the jobs. All the jobs. I've done all the jobs and was fucking shit. I mean, even when I was great, even when I was manager of the month of the La Quinta, you know, it's, I know, but that's the whole point of why I say it that way. But no, I'm saying, 
All of those things. Just if you cannot do this, do anything else. But if you if you have to do this, if this is all you can do, then do it and fucking have all the shit shows, all the nightmare shows. And you don't mean like if you physically can't do anything else. You mean if the draw to this is not so powerful that you don't, you can't. If you can sit in a cubicle and not want to eat a bullet, then just go sit in a goddamn cubicle. Be a normal human being if you can. If you can, <laughs> but if you can't, then come join the fucking rodeo with the rest of us. I mean, all right, there you go. I work in a cubicle now. That's to get him Had to get you fired up. Uh, how long do you want me to answer this question? Do you know go. Right. So I like I could literally talk about this. It's one of my favorite things to talk about, even to people I don't like. Like you know, you see me talk to people at mics and shows. I do it way less now because I don't have the energy mentally. To handle yeah. you motherfuckers, right? Like every now and again, I'll give you guys some tags, whatever. But you, the, the advice would be, the advice varies on who's getting it. Like mm-hmm. how much, when I look into your fucking eyes, how much do you want to do this? Do you have other options? Can you be that guy in the cubicle? And, and when he says that, what I hear is, can I, like, could I go sit in a cubicle and not dream about this shit all the time? If I can do that, if there is a poll... Anywhere else, I can like James said. I can only do this. This is the only thing I'm good at, right? I, I could be good at a bunch of shit. I've been good at a bunch of other shit the entire my entire life. I just want to be good at this more than all of that, right? Yeah. So that's why I do it. So the advice to somebody who wants to start comedy: A, do it. Just go do it. It's going to suck. Your job for the first year is to survive. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go and learn nothing. You don't have go have experiences and then start trying to learn after the first year. Get in the habit of being there. As long as you're showing up, you can't lose, okay. right? You can be horrible, you can be shit, you can you can bomb, you can not be good at con- all that stuff. If you're showing up, you can't take that away from you, right? That mm-hmm. you'll start learning after that first year. I think that's that's the the shortest answer I can give you is do it, do it, and then if you want to do it more, do it for a year and don't quit. If you don't quit for that first year, everything I would tell you right now, you'll learn on your own. You just learn it slower. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about, like, that argument, like, you know how people will, like, go on stage, but, like, not right? Like, you say, like, when people say, like, oh, stage time is this much, is this important, but they don't spend any time Are you good? They go on stage. Are you good? Like, who, I don't know who said it, but uh, it was some comic I heard not that long ago, and they said, if you, if you, oh, I know who, uh, he said, he said, he said it to me, that's why I remember. <laughs> he was like, if you think you're one of those comics who can go on stage and not write and be funny, you're wrong. And mm-hmm. he's right. I mean, I don't write. I don't, I never write. But I talk to myself constantly, so that's like my writing. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, I'll write notes on my whiteboard, and then because I have a, an obsessive personality, I think about that comment or that sentence mm-hmm. for forty hours before I ever talk about it on stage. And mm-hmm. then the first time I ever say it out loud is on stage. So I, I'm writing in a different way. You have to write. But that's writing. Right. The, the fact that you don't, you're not putting it in a notebook isn't the same thing as not writing. Sure. Um, and again. There are there are guys that literally live their life, and uh, Dave Chappelle uh, writes. Yeah, uh, he does most of it on stage, but he has notes, he has ideas, he has stuff he's jotted down. He has the same thing that Eric does that that I mostly do is it's it's you're living in your head, and that's a lot of the writing. And you can if you if you're a jokey joke one liner comic, of course that's all going to live in a notebook in an order like in all that. Yeah. But unless you're that. Then there's gonna you're still writing. It's just yeah. a different process. Yeah. So, so. it's like, what, what's the definition of writing? I guess is what that question. Is. 
I mean, unless you're someone who literally walks on stage and improvs every moment of everything that comes out of your mouth with zero thought in advance, then you were writing to me. But anyways, uh, any more thing? Anything else we got to cover? Oh, that was I got to go. Yeah, well, I got to. Yeah. Yeah. All right. No, no, no. It's not your fault. Thanks, man. Hey, thank y'all for tuning in to the Off The Cuff Podcast, y'all. Oh, hey, man. Like, y'all fucking cool as shit for listening to niggas. Oh, yeah. Greatly appreciated over here. Give us $100. I mean, yeah, we with it. But if you can't give us $100, how about you fuck with us on all our platforms? Of social media. You feel me? On Instagram. Podcast Off The Cuff. On Twitter. Off the cuff NC. Nigga, Facebook. OTC Pod. God damn it, you feel me? We over here on every streaming service you can find us on. iTunes. Spotify. Stitcher. Google Play. Your baby mama's radio. SoundCloud. Your baby mama's radio, because she's playing us. She, she fucks with us. Fucks with us heavy. She's actually in the back. In the back. Hey. You feel me? <laughs> we in your crib, nigga. We here. All right, niggas. Oh, wait, hold up. You got to email us, too. Oh, true that. True that. I got to make sure that you remember to get Podcast off the cuff at gmail.com. Gmail.com. Gmail.com because we motherfucking gangster. You feel me? Keep your hot mail to yourself. And peace out, you punk bitches. Talk to me, man. It's your boy, Young Hope. If you turn the motherfucking noise up. Get right into the proceedings this evening. Uh, 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 headphones at the start. Bring it down a little bit. Okay. Uh, now we working with it. Uh, the boy face up and baseline, baby. Baseball. Welcome to New York City. In my clothes, don't make me have to relapse on these hoes. Take it back out the tax in a roll. When I was hugging it, niggas couldn't do nothing with it. Straight from the oven with it, came from the dirt. I emerged from it all without a stain on my shirt. You could blame my old earth for the shit she instilled in me. Still with me, pain plus work. Shit, she made me milk this game for all this work. That's right. Niggas can't fuck with me. I'm calling guts every time. Drag my nuts every time, homie. We make a great combination, don't we? Me and the face mob. Every time we face off, face it, y'all. Y'all niggas playing basic ball. I'm on the block like I'm eight feet tall, homie. I'm in the drop with the AC off. That's why the streets embrace me, dog. I'm so cool. Guess who's back? Back on the block with the hoes. Face mob, black mittens and hoes. But make me relapse. From the womb to the tomb, a hot pot of joy and a spoon, trying to make me 40,000 and move. Motel, star studded, rock stars and goons, plain clothes wanna run in my room. But nigga, guess who's been Zach? It's your boy, Face Mob. Started with an eight ball, gotta get this cake, dog. Give niggas a break, nah. You know how the game go. Fuck you think I slang for to go against the grain? No. I'm out here in grind mode, wrapped up in a paper chase. I wanna fuck a fine hoe and candy paint the 88. Don't got no wholesale, cause that ain't how I wanna run it. Here, take this 
five stones and bring a nigga back a hundred. Gotta see my feet, dude. You do see the fiend, dude. If I get too hot in the kitchen, I hit the streets, fool. Money is an issue, and that's on the bushizzle. My nizzle, your block warm, and I come by with the fizzle. And make for sure I get to work mine a part of time. We go to war, and you ain't making a dime. Cause I got shit to lose. A nigga out here paying his dues. My baby walking, gotta get him some shoes. It's a new game for it. Let me get you the rules. Get out of line, and I'm gonna get you the blues. It's a new game brewing. Let me get you the rules. Get out of line, and I'm gonna get you the blues. Whoa! Guess who is that? The boy B. Mizak. AKA Mr. Cracker Brick. Turn a whole one from a half a brick. Look, I mastered this. You can smell it once the plastic rips. Play to make it swell up if your gasket click. You can make your chip swell up. You don't have to pitch. Play them corners like a safety. Watching traffic switch. Young and never pump fake. And you'll get past the blitz. And keep your whole hood on flip. Like old box spring. Pissy mattress shit. No old box of things. Strictly blasting shit. I hug the block like quarter water. Shit, I used to hug the corner like an old deuce in a quarter. Till I deuce in the morning with the old heads. Slinging loose quarters. This Philly cat back at it.